Hello, stargazers. Welcome to 7th House Astrology, where I take any sort of topic that is either related to astrology or to the realm of relationships, and I investigate them under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I am so glad that you have joined me today. So before I get going on my episode, I have something a little exciting for you guys. So in preparation, uh, this will probably be in the next week to two weeks because we are also entering in Sagittarius season. But uh, uh, in preparation for an episode, I do have a question for you guys. And that is, you know, when it comes to relationships that you've had, whether at work, whether in your family, whether romantically, when you deal with somebody of the same sun sign as you, you know, when you're dealing with a, the person of the opposite of gender, do you find that person acts or kind of has an exacerbated sort of characteristics with that sun sign as opposed to you, or do you find it's about the same? Um, definitely pop onto my Instagram page. Um, it's Sandra.Mizek. And um, I actually have a post where we have, where I have like either a lily pad or my cat kind of um, being as cozy as she could be in the summertime. I was taken in the summertime. But uh, that's where the, the question is posed. And uh, that's where um, definitely I would love your guys' responses and I'd love your guys' feedback. Uh, when it comes down to that episode, I will definitely mention your responses, your feedback on the air. I will give a shout out to you guys. Um, I just really would like your feedback because I feel like that's the best way I'm going to get research on that topic. So Definitely hit my Instagram page, Sandra.Mizek, that's M-I-S-E-K. And while you're there, you can also pop a question to me too, um, if you do have any questions or anything related to discussion. So in getting to today, like how today and how this week has gone direct, as opposed to how this week has gone retrograde, well, how it's gone direct is that um, I feel that this, the fact that I have no drama in my life is actually really big and really keen. Um, at work, I'm not, you know, not everybody is getting along with me, and that's fine. I think we're at a space where we can agree to disagree, particularly with a coworker who started a lot of drama a couple of weeks ago. But the fact that we are drama-free, that there's really nothing that's instigating any sort of animosity, any sort of agita. I know someone else was actually hired in my place of work um, just recently, but I'm not feeling threatened. I'm not feeling as though my own personal drama is coming up. So I think the fact that it's just been, you know, and at home too, it's just drama-free. So I think that that's something I've been really enjoying and also looking forward to continuing as we move into this Thanksgiving week. Now, the retrograde, I think, has to deal with the fact that we literally have a retrograde planet right now, and that's Mars. Um, the biggest retrograde aspect is, well, actually, I'm just going to say this, when it comes down to any retrograde planet, it seems like for whatever reason, they seem to either affect the tilt of the Earth, or it just seems like by, by chance, everything just falls down incessantly and continuously. And I have had that very same problem. I've had problems with liquids where they've been spilling. I've had problems where everything is on its shelf. It's in its secure little place. And in these last couple of weeks, they've just been knocked down like about 15 times. I even have had um, in its secure little place a coffee press that I hold loose leaf teas Sometimes I just go to move my hand and that's knocked over. And of course, that also has liquids in it. So it's just been a mess when it has come down to things knocking over and spilling over and just kind of is not doing what it's, it's supposed to be doing at this time. I am hoping that as we move forward, I know we're supposed to be in Mars retrograde until January, but I'm hoping that as we move forward, um, that 
these sort of things kind of wrap up a little bit, the, the falling down, the knocking down of things. But definitely, again, too, on my Instagram page, if you guys want to relate to if that's happened to you as well, too, I'd love to hear it. Also, if you have any uh, direct and retrograde stories of your own, I'd love to hear that as well. Um, again, uh, you know, just go to Sandra.Mysic and, and definitely share. All right, Stargazers. So without further ado, I thought that, you know, it's been a little while since we've had, we've had covered or we had covered, excuse me, we had covered the asteroids. So this week I decided to actually cover series. Um, and you know what the position of series means when it comes to your natal chart, as well as what it means in the sinistry chart as well. So without further ado, in order to introduce the asteroid as with Juno and as with uh, Pallas Athene, I feel like um, a brief overview of the goddess in which the asteroid has been named after is in order in order to understand her archetypes, um, why she's associated with certain things in the chart as she is. But one little fun fact before I get into that is that actually uh, when it comes to Ceres, she was so big when she was first discovered that actually she was considered to be a dwarf planet for a little while. Um, I guess stand, um, astronomical, or no, I don't want to say astronomical, um, in the astronomy community, I think they deemed that um, she did not have the qualifications uh, to be a dwarf planet, so they deemed her as being an asteroid instead. And so, sorry, stargazers, just a little flummy here. But uh, I just thought that that was an actu actually interesting, very fun fact. Um, so it, it turns out that with the asteroid, if she is indeed very big, then um, I usually see big planets or big asteroids as having a really um, impactful sort of energy on the chart. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that it really exerts a lot of influence on the chart. But uh, when it comes down to Ceres, uh, also the, so Ceres was the Roman equivalent to Demeter. And I think that we've all kind of experienced, uh, you know, kind of like a, a study of Greek or Roman mythology. You know, we've all read the stories of either Ceres or, Deme or, or Demeter, um, depending on which uh, mythology that you had preferred growing up. But I think we kind of all know where that comes from, but just a couple of points and a couple of recaps. So Ceres, or otherwise known as Demeter, was the great mother to Persephone or Kor. Again, depending on which uh, pantheon you would like to choose to to go for. I'm going to go for the Greek pantheon, um, since it actually, many of the Roman counterparts had started with the Greek pantheon. But um, yes, Demeter was the mother to Persephone. Uh, her greatest claim, greatest uh, claim to fame was basically she had a very loving relationship with her daughter, very loving relationship with Persephone. Um, that when Persephone was actually kidnapped by Hades and taken down to the underworld, Demeter was at an absolute loss. And she actually displayed what many mothers go through when their child is, when they sense that their child is missing. Uh, with Demeter, she did not sleep for days and nights on end. She would not rest. She searched all the corners of the world for her daughter and um, really came to a great grief and great amount of loss when she finally found out that Persephone was gone from her. Now, she, she had thought that Persephone was gone, that maybe she had died in however gods and goddesses had died or had perished at that time, or that something really dire had happened to her to where she'd never see her daughter ever again. So with that said, she went into great amounts of despair, um, rightfully so, great amounts of grief, rightfully so, as well. Um, and it was at such a point that she actually, because she was goddess of the grain and goddess of agriculture as well, she came down to a point where she just said, you know what? I'm at such a loss here. Um, the world's not being fair to me, so I'm not going to be fair to it. Uh, there's going to be no more crops. 
And when Zeus, you know, Zeus in all of mythology, and I feel like the same was with uh, Janus. Uh, you know, it seemed like these guys tended to wait in the heavens until things got absolutely really rotten and really just bad before they stepped in. But Zeus saw it's like, oh no, no more food. That means all of our, you know, all the humans are going to starve out. We're going to starve out. It's like, that can't happen. So that's, that's when he intervened. Um, you know, he didn't intervene when Hades actually kidnapped Persephone. He didn't intervene, even though he was supposed to know everything that was going on. He didn't intervene when Persephone was being tortured and being, um, held prisoner, really, in the underworld. He didn't intervene when, you know, Demeter was going through a lot of worry and grief. Oh, no, no, he has to go through, he has to intervene when there are no crops, when there's a threat of no crops, you know, when it was the absolute worst possible scenario um, at, at, at all, at all costs. But anyway, that's when he intervened and uh, went to Hades and said, yeah, come on, dude, you got to, like, Give it up. I know you're lustful. I know you're lusting after Persephone. I know you, you want her to yourself in the underworld, but give her give her up to her mom. Her mom's really worried and she's about ready to to kill all the crops and that that's not good. So um Hades, you know, while he agreed to um actually give Persephone back to um her mother, Demeter. Um, in turn, he also tricked Persephone to eat half a pomegranate, which actually bound Persephone to his world. Um, that was, you know, supposedly, and uh, well, it was supposed to be, even if you ate like half or anything from one person's realm or another, that kind of bound you to their realm. Well, when this became even more of a disagreement between Hades and Demeter, um, in returning Persephone back, that's where Zeus intervened just that much more. And again, at a crisis point and said, okay, um, Persephone is going to be half, half, you know, since she ate half the pomegranate seeds, she's going to be half in the underworld with Hades, half with her mother Demeter. When she's with her de mother Demeter, um, whatever Demeter wants to do, that's on her. That's up to her. Uh, when she, when Persephone leaves, whatever happens, happens. And actually it's a seasonal story. Um, so whenever Persephone goes to the underworld, that's where we experience what we're, the season that we're experiencing now, um, autumn as well as winter. And then when Persephone is reunited with her mother, uh, Demeter, that's when spring and summer, um, also occur. That's where Demeter being very happy to be re reunited with her child. Um, you know, she causes all the crops to flourish, and basically that's where we, we get that sense of spring and also that continued sense of growth into late spring, early summer as well. But the reason, as much as we're kind of like, yeah, we know the story, um, the reason why I recapped Demeter, kind of like with Juno and with uh, Athena, um, or with Pallas Athena, is that there are many archetypes of the goddess that actually resonate with the asteroid. And I think the first one above and beyond is that motherhood, mothering, or nurturing, and a sense of nurturing are all represented underneath the asteroid of Ceres. And that makes sense because with Demeter, I mean, she really was your typical mother when Persephone had disappeared. Um, you know, she was, you know, searching for Persephone through the thick and the thin. It is actually thought that she even um, had begun Demeter, she being Demeter, had begun the illusion mysteries when she was at the height of her grief. And of course, what's revolved around the mysteries, I think, is between you and Demeter. I think it's between every individual and Demeter. Um, hence why it's a mystery, also the mystery being that no one was allowed um, to actually reveal the illusion mysteries, um, you know, that the ritual or anything, um, hence there should be death upon your head. Um, that was kind of the threat back in the day when it came to the mystery schools. But to get back to Ceres, well, when Ceres is in, wherever Ceres is placed in your chart, that represents how you nurture and how you are nurtured. Now, again, um, 
you know, it's not just with motherhood. Um, as I, it's kind of, it's kind of struck me that as I was doing the research for this week, it kind of struck me that with Ceres, she's actually really very much like the personal planets in her chart. Um, even though she's an asteroid and asteroids take some time, but unlike Juno or Pallas Athene, where with Juno, um, that takes time. It takes time to know what you value in marriage. And Pallas Athene takes time to develop wisdom and problem-solving skills. I feel like with Ceres, we actually develop the archetypes that are encompassed in our Ceres positions in our charts, mainly because when we're you know, nurturing, we kind of develop a sense of how we nurture either ourselves or other people when we're at a very young age. And usually that's dependent upon how we are raised and what we agree with when it comes to our parents and what we don't agree with. Now note the series placement in your chart is not always representative of how you were raised or it's, it's not really like an accusatory finger pointed at your mom or your dad and, you know, kind of being like, okay, yeah, that's proof as to why I'm screwed up or, oh yeah, that's proof as to why I'm this, that, and the other thing. Actually, no, you know, whether or not you agreed or disagreed with your main caregivers um, in the time of which you're raised. Series actually kind of presents to us what we decided to take from what we had raised, like the things that worked for us, as opposed to the things that did not work for us. You know, for instance, if somebody has series in cancer, you know, what had worked for them was to actually have undying support around them at all times. You know, the times in which a guardian, whether that be their their mom, their dad, their biological mom, their biological dad, if it was a grandparent, um, if it was maybe their mom and maybe a stepfather or their dad and a stepmother, um, if they found that there were fr fragments or there were even pieces in childhood where they were really well supported and they really felt very um very nurtured, if we may, uh, both emo very much emotionally so um, in the kind of like heart-centered relationships. That's what they carry with them to not only self-soothe, but also to actually nurture their partners and their friends, as well as their family members in turn. Now, kind of like with Pallas Athene, where I know uh, with Pallas Athene, wisdom um is encompassed with that position, that asteroid. While I've mentioned that there are like 12 different positions and 12 different ways, again, there's 12 different ways to nurture. Um, I know that there's a lot that's based off of the Cancerian model. And actually, Ceres is related to our moon's position as well as Cancer and also to Virgo. And I'll, I'll actually describe um, why Virgo or explain why Virgo in just a moment. But uh, really, you know, a lot of the nurturing is off the Cancerian model, which is being there for everybody, dropping everything at a moment's notice, and really just nurturing somebody no matter what. And um, I know that that's not everybody's type. Um, so again, the sign as well as the house that, that um, series happens to be within really actually emphasizes how we nurture, you know, some of us may feel that we're at our best if we're more independent, uh, for instance. Some of us may feel a personal nurturance when we're going on adventures, um, you know, like somebody with series in Sagittarius, they may feel, uh, you know, not only that independence is important, but also going on adventures or going on big trips is actually a very nurturing experience for them. For some who have series in Aries, um, you know, finding ways to be more productive at work um, is nurturing, you know, like work or pursuing personal goals. That's very nurturing for that person. Um, so it's, it's very different uh, based off of which sign and also which house um, that your series position is in, indicative of. And usually um, kind of finding out both kind of gets um, some keys as to how you nurture or how, or, and also how you'd like to be nurtured. So kind of like how you treat people and how you'd like to be treated in return and in regard, you know, treated as in 
how you love and how you'd like to be loved in return. So in some ways, the synastry is already kind of attached to this asteroid, which is actually really nice. The other thing that I found interesting, and this is according to Rachel Stewart Haas, is that Ceres is also uh, representative of our relationship with food, uh, which I found to be interesting. And that, well, but as I kind of contemplated uh, this aspect, that also makes sense into taking into account Demeter and Demeter being the goddess of agriculture, as well as the crops, the grain and of food as well. Um, so when it, you know, when it comes down to it, um, our relationship with food, whether it's healthy, whether it's dysfunctional, is usually indicated by the relation of Ceres to your moon, your moon's position. I also think because this is the Virgo aspect of Ceres, I would also add um, the Mercury position in your chart. I would actually gauge where Ceres position is between your moon as well as Mercury. Um, if it's in hard aspect, if it's in soft aspect, um, see like what that reveals to you. If it's in hard aspect, and I always say this, like if it, if you find that you have a dysfunctional relationship with food, almost to the point where you might have either barrier eating disorder or an eating disorder. What I highly recommend is take a look not only at serious position to your moon as well as um, to Mercury. See if there might be in those meanings of the, those two positions. See if that meaning actually resonates you. And usually sometimes with disorders, it starts in childhood. So See if these things kind of resonate you from childhood. Um, what I would add to, because astrology is not everything, stargazers, if you are suffering from something like an eating disorder, bring those discoveries up with your therapist, with a licensed professional, and that might help to kind of patch some things and help in your recovery as well as your therapy um, in the in the whole entire session. But if you're kind of like me, uh, where you have like quasi-healthy, quasi-unhealthy decisions with food, um, again, your serious position and where it's in relation to both Mercury and your moon can really reveal a lot of different whys as to why things are happening as well. And again, it's not just solely because our parents messed us up or our parents supported us or what have you. You know, sometimes what we carry around with us is not always solely because of our parents. Sometimes it's just our organic makeup. You know, we have the nurturing from our parents, but what we choose to take from that relationship is what we carry around with us. So our parents may, or, you know, whether our parents were abusive or not, is not really a factor in this situation with our with food. Um, sometimes it's just what we carry with us and what might have, you know, stayed with us. Um, you know, also too with food, I think too that can also be a situation where some people or there are people who feel like they are nurtured by a healthy diet or they're nurtured by food as well. Um, so, and that was a piece from their childhood where they felt the most comfortable or a piece from their young adulthood as well that felt the most comfortable that they carry with them. Either way, kind of fascinating, right? The third one I thought was also quite interesting, and this was from astrology.com. It kind of goes hand in hand with the nurturing, but self-care um, is also associated with series, you know, how we care for ourselves. Now, again, stargazers, before we get into this, I know what many of you are thinking about self-care. The usual self-care model that's always promoted on social media or on the internet or just in general, usually I know what it, you know, it entails like kind of the Cancerian model. So drawing a bubble bath, having a spa day, um, really nurturing your emotions or really just having a time to sit and just relax and I know like for me personally, that doesn't work for me because I know if I sit in a bubble bath, I tend to ruminate. I can't forget about my bad day or I can't forget about the things that I'm self-caring from. Um, so I tend to ruminate more. And I know for others, it's like it's, it kind of gets a little annoying almost. Uh, so with that said, I would say um, 
self-care is actually, there are 12 different ways of self-care, just as much as there's 12 different positions um, with uh, Ceres as well, too. So again, going back to that person who has Ceres and Aries, self-care may be along the lines of either accomplishing their goals, like their personal goals in life, because a lot of, you know, Aries, you know, the Aries has that dynamic fiery energy to kind of power through and also that Martian energy to power through. So they may have that drive to kind of accomplish personal goals. They might also think that accomplishing some professional goals that they've made on the side of work might also be an act of self-care. But the other thing I would recommend with somebody who has palace and Aries would be something um, such as like, you know, either a hit workout or kickboxing workout or something that's high impact, maybe even going into extreme sports or competitive sports as well, too. Something that's really high impact and that can also channel their energy into something that's far more construct, that's also constructive, but also that's a little bit away from goals and maintaining goals and reaching their dreams, reaching their goals and their dreams. Since, you know, again, Palace and Aries, that's kind of on the horizon, really. Um, You know, really their dreams are right on the horizon. Um, So self-care would look something more like, you know, getting a really good workout um, taken care of. And that might be far more um, agreeable to that individual than drawing a bubble bath and having a spa day. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that's not the one style that caters to everybody. Everyone is very different um, with series in the different 12 signs. So definitely where series is positioned can give you an idea to self-care. I know for me, um, series being an Aquarius, anything where I'm on my own, uh, where I'm using my mind and I'm being a little more cerebral and thought provoking as well. Um, and also kind of thinking along the lines of how to benefit things outside of me, like how to benefit the planet, how to benefit um, humanitarian causes, you know, like how to support breast cancer awareness month in October has been big for me, how to um, promote, you know, you know, like kind of learn more about people who feel misrepresented in society and, you know, kind of learning more about about the perspectives and learning more about how not only can I avoid that, but just learning more of their more of the perspectives and more of the stories, I think also pertains to me. And that to me is an act of self-care, you know, just indulging in a different culture or indulging in the stories of someone who has a completely different background from me. I feel like that's very wonderful for me um, to spend my, my time with as well. And again, like I said, um, you know, mental endeavors are also very, uh, very much self-care or along lines of self-care for me. Again, something very different from the bubble bath sort of scenario. Um, and then the other thing that I had actually seen on Cafe Astrology, Cafe Astrology really revealed a lot of very interesting tidbits about series. That's kind of like the opposite side of what we're um, discussing this week, but still kind of um, very important nonetheless. So series can actually also reveal a, tra- a woman's transition and uh, particularly women who are transitioning. I feel like this can also apply to men who are transitioning as well, you know, transitions in life and how we handle them. I would say like how we handle them, it's what's important to us. And then the other is grief and how we handle that. And I thought that those two individual points were interesting. Um, Again, upon further reflection, it does make sense because Demeter did go through a ton of grief with Persephone's loss or with the loss of Persephone. And then also the transition, you know, with Demeter, um, she seemed to be, you know, if we take the traditional pagan viewpoint of goddess, where there's maiden, mother, and crone, uh, with Demeter, we see her being um, a mother, first and foremost, the mother archetype, first and foremost, while her daughter's a maiden, you know, so she's nurturing a young maiden. But then we see her slightly shifting from mother to like late mother going into crone and crone basically means just a woman who is aging or goddess aging as well too. 
But uh, I feel like with Demeter definitely kind of moving slightly into the crone phase um, in the regard that she kind of grew up in a way. She kind of transitioned in her own way uh, when she lost Persephone and became far more realistic about being um, a mother to her child. In a way, what it reminded me of are parents who actually experience empty nesting. You know, they're young children, they're going away to college, they're going away, they're doing their own life. Um, and it's usually that experience of that experience that can produce a lot of grief, some sense of loss, as well as transitioning, as well as a transition. It's a huge transition in life because um, for many parents, it's like, oh, I remember my child when they were, you know, barely above my knee. You know, they were very tiny and they were young children and now they're, they're grown adults. What, what happened here? It's like I turned my back and they're grown adults leaving the house. What happened? Um, and I find that with Ceres' placement, um, and position in the chart, both for men and for women, it really, um, indicates the sign in the house indicates what you hang on to, like what's most important to you when it comes to that transition in life. Now, if you're not, if you're like me and you're not a mom, I mean, I can only imagine the loss with empty nesting. I can only imagine the loss of when your 18 year old goes to college and becomes a young woman or a young man, you know, they're transitioning into adulthood. I can just imagine how, how much that would rock the boat a little bit or how much of a transition that would be. But for those who are single and not mothers like myself, I find another transition could be also old age, which also the late mother, early crone also represents in Demeter, um, kind of, you know, transitioning from being a young mom to being an older woman. And for me, I've kind of experienced uh, the transition um, with old age myself in the regard that, well, so I'm not going to lie about my age. I just turned 39 in August, and I know that some are kind of like, oh, 39, that is so young. Wait till you're my age, darling. And to which I say, okay, but um, even at 39, I've actually experienced a lot of transitions, so kind of bordering on, on 40. I've been experiencing a lot of transitions, such as my hips. Like I remembered one night, my hips were just you know, very narrow. They're at their narrow state. I went to bed one night and then I woke up the next morning, they're enlarged. You know, they were much larger and much broader than my shoulders. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what had happened here? You know, well, the good news is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting some curve into my body. And I've always wanted that because I was always rail thin. Um, suddenly I'm not only getting the wider hips, but also the bigger stomach too that comes with it. Sometimes when I'm carrying water weight, particularly, I get I, I experience kind of like old people's bloat in a way. <laughs> Sorry for those who are experiencing more mature ages, um, but that's the best how I can describe it. Um, you know, it, it's been quite a transition for me. Um, but I, one thing that kind of stuck with me is, you know, in taking into account the series placement, as I've been growing older, I've noticed that when it comes down to, I've started to get gray hairs. So getting gray hairs for me, that's not a problem because, um, being a former barber, I know how to cover gray hairs and also I know how to rock it out. You know, I can rock it out like a Marvel, Marvel hero, uh, deep wrinkles again, deeper wrinkle cream and just taking care of my face and taking care of my skin. I feel like the biggest things that actually cramp my lifestyle are the emergence of constipation, which I've never had until about this year, which is just a pain in the neck if you've never experienced it before. Um, so constipation and, you know, anything that actually impedes my lifestyle. And that's very, you know, looking at series being an Aquarius for me, um, I feel like that would be why I feel like taking care of my health and taking care of those obstacles that would impede my, um, you know, involvement and my enjoyment of life are far more important and worthy of my time than the cosmetic value. Now, if somebody had series in like, say, Taurus, 
they'd be, you know, they'd see the wrinkles and they would see the gray hair. And that's when they'd feel like, okay, this, this is a stickler on my life. I need to take care of this. So again, series placement um, and how in your dealing with transitions, such as old age, like me, or empty nesting too. Uh, you know, like somebody who has series in the seventh house um, may want their child to contact them a bit more. And even more so if their serious position is in Libra. It's like, hey, I know where you are. I know what you're doing. Or I know that you're at school. I know that you're in a dorm. I know that you're having fun or that you're studying. But kind of give us a call every now and then. Keep in touch. And kind of like, I kind of almost imagine Demeter saying the same thing to Persephone. It's like, okay, now that I know where you are, even though I don't, I'm not in agreement with it, now that I know where you are, um, you know, keep in touch every now and then, even though I'm not going to see you until spring and summer, keep in touch and, you know, make sure that you, you reach out to me or I'm going to worry. Um, so definitely how we handle these transitions is indicative of where series happens to be in our charts. And again, everything that we hang on to or what's important to us um, and the lessons that we carry are really far more, um, again, they're very different as each 12 of the 12 signs progresses. You know, again, like with Aquarius, um, don't impede my social life, don't impede my life, as opposed to like either Libra or Taurus don't impede my beauty or don't, you know, don't impede my relationships. Um, these things are, like I said, everything, everyone's going to be a little bit different as to what really is important. Um, also, I think too, knowing that importance helps us to transition a little bit better in our lives and to get out of that grief state that comes with these drastic changes. I also find that with the grief stage, um, sometimes too, when we're young children and we don't like how we're raised, that also comes with grief. So what we decide to carry with us, what we decide to learn from that is also indicative with, with our series placements as well. So definitely, definitely check out series. Um, and I meant to mention this at the beginning of this episode, but I'll take this time now. If you don't know your series placement in your chart or you're having some trouble, I use astro.com. Um, it's astrodeanst. If you do uh, click on your chart, you'll have an option to either go to your chart drawing or to the extended chart selection. Go into the extended chart selection and then underneath, there are options for which wheel you'd like to have, what sort of charts you'd like to have. Underneath that, they have additional objects. Um, click on the blank space below the additional ob uh, objects. Um, it usually pops up with a screen because Ceres, Juno, uh, Pallas, uh, Vesta, there are a couple of uh, common asteroids. Because they're very common and they've been on the scene the longest, they're the ones who are the first to pop up. The other neat is so you can just click that uh, box and you'll get to see series in your chart or any of the other asteroids that we have covered. The other fun thing is if say that you'd like to know where another asteroid is, but it's not in that, that pop-up box, it's not that list, you can also specify it. And when I say that Astrodeans has almost every single asteroid under the sun, I really, I, I'm actually pretty serious. I think they have like thousands of different asteroids listed. So if ever you want to take a look at what, uh, where each asteroid is, uh, where it's listed or where it is in your chart and what it means, um, that's a cool function to also use while you're on Astro. So definitely, again, check out astro.com. So I know what you guys are thinking when it comes to series and, you know, I know what you're probably, you're probably thinking like, okay, this is all nice and well, Sandra, but how does this relate to synastry? Well, I think the biggest thing is it's important to know series position in your chart before going into a relationship, you know, kind of like with Juno. Um, it's important to know Juno's position in the chart before you go into a relationship, because that way, you know, what you value in the relationship and you can have a discussion based off of that. But like say um, with series, like say somebody asks you what's most important in a relationship and it always comes up whenever you're dating. That's always the biggest question that comes up. Sometimes it comes up on the first date. I've, I've had that myself. 
Um, possibly because I've had a lot of guys who've rushed things a little too far too soon. Or sometimes it comes into like the third to fifth um, date. But uh, knowing Sirius's position is great because you know not only how you nurture uh, when you kind of experience Sirius in your chart, but also it's how you want to be treated. And that's something that you can bring up to your partner. Like, you know, for me, having Sirius and Aquarius, it's not very cool to be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't value my privacy. It's also not really great to be in a relationship with someone who's ultra clingy and who's really dependent on me because independence and carrying my own lifestyle separately from the relationship is very important. So before moving forward, it's very important that that person understand that and that they respect my independence. Also, my independence in the relationship, too. And I feel like there is such a thing. You know, instead of, you know, sitting there and, you know, really eyeing me and ogling me or, um, you know, looking at me every single minute and asking me questions as to what I'm thinking every single second, I find the, you know, again, I find not only the what are you thinking questions intrusive, I find them suffocating. So um, it's like, again, in the relationship, give me some space. And in turn, I will respect you and your independence and what you find you need in the relationship as well. I'll, you know, I'll respect your areas of independence, where you need to be left alone, uh, where you might need space as well, too. And hopefully in the relationship, I can also teach you those sort of things, like how to give your partner some breathing room, some space. You know, you can love your partner, but still give them some breathing room. So give them some space. Um, I find that Ceres' position really indicates that. It's like how, what you, how you expect to be treated in the relationship, um, you know, or how you, yeah, yeah, how you expect to be treated in the relationship. And again, everyone's different. Like with Taurus, they might need the undying love. They might need the uh, the um, constant admiration and, you know, to kind of know that that person will be there for them through the thick and the thin, that they'll be faithful. And of course, um, the way that that person can weed the potential candidates from the not so great potential candidates is, you know, how devoted are they? How close are they to me? Uh, for someone who is Sagittarius, um, it would be the need to travel. Um, you know, the need to travel, maybe sharing that um, traveling experience with their, their partner or just taking it on their own. And, you know, having that partner, you know, kind of expecting their partner to understand that and respect that in them as well, too, you know, to travel to different places, whether that be physically or that also might be mentally as well. They might, you know, try on different philosophies. They might try on different thought forms um, in order to, you know, really kind of gain a different worldview. But they want their partner to kind of understand and not treat them like they're, they're, you know, they've run away with the circus, so to speak. So I think that's important. And then, of course, the one thing that also stood out to me in Sinistry is the relation with food. I find that food not only is very personal, your relationship with food is not only very personal, and not only can it bring either great tears of joy or great tears of pain, depending on your relationship with it. But I find that's incredibly, incredibly romantic. So how you both view, you, uh, sorry, how you both view food, you know, like somebody who has Ceres and Virgo may value a well-balanced, healthy meal. Um, you know, what's sexy and romantic is having like a well-balanced, maybe even a vegan meal at that too, that can help support their gut and help support their health. Unlike where someone who has, you know, again, Sagittarius, uh, you know, so like Ceres and Sagittarius, they may like all sorts of food. You know, if, if duck balls is on the menu, that's what they want. Or if octopus is on the menu, they'll try that too. Or if it's something like cow's brain that's on the menu, oh man, you better believe they're going to try that as well because it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's an awesome experience. But our relationship with food and how we share that with our partners 
and how understanding our partners uh, are of that um, is really represented in the relationship as well. And then again, I, I just feel like with series, it's all about caring. Um, you know, caring, how you care for your partner, how you, how you're there for your partner. And again, your sun sign or not sun sign, sorry, the sign as well as the house is very representative of that. Well, stargazers for our sample chart for this week, I wanted to revisit one personality because, um, last week, I kind of felt like I accidentally ragged on Kyle Richards. So Kyle Richards, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. I really do like you. I really do admire you. Um, and I really think that um, I really would like to get a bit another go and investigate really her relationship with Jamie Lee Curtis because they have a very close bond with each other. Um, I'd love to see where Ceres is positioned in their charts and how that influences their their friendship with each other. So since we're at it, let's go ahead and dive right into it. So um, Jamie Lee Curtis, for those of you who don't know her, oh, for those of you who don't know her, please check out either Halloween, uh, check out Prom Night. I would say, I think there was a series on, on FX that was uh, Scream Queens, which was Oh, it was a parody on the slasher films. It was so excellent. But she has been in a ton of movies, a ton of films. Check her out. She's an awesome actor. Really, really awesome. And also really, you know, from what I've seen, she's a really great, just very interesting soul. Very wonderful person. Uh, Kyle Richards, uh, I just, you know, if you guys did not catch last week's episode or if you're not familiar She's most noted for being uh, one of the housewives on the Bever the Housewives of Beverly Hills on Bravo, but she's also been in a ton of films. Um, she actually met Jamie Lee Curtis while filming Halloween with her, and they've been through the Halloween journey, um, you know, through the thick and the, th the thin. I think since the seventies um, to the eighties, really. Um, there's a picture of the two of them where they're both very young, but it's like they kind of grew up together um, within the film franchise. So um, that's definitely of to be noted as well. But diving right in. So um, while the sun signs indicate a good compatibility, Jamie Lee Curtis is actually in Scorpio on the Sagittarius cusp, meaning that she is not only loving to get into truth and very deeply profound, but also she has that fun-loving wanting to do new things, try new things, that sort of streak in her, that Sagittarian streak in her. Um, you know, it, she does, they both kind of, they are compatible in that regard. I feel like um, with Jamie Lee Curtis, she does provide that fun-loving sort of a basis for Kyle a lot of the time. And I think also vice versa, you know, Kyle being very stable and Capricorn and being like, approaching her career one step at a time. I think that that's very, um, that actually is admirable to Jamie Lee Curse's eyes. I think she kind of provides a little bit, you know, Kyle in turn can provide a little bit of a foundation for Jamie Lee Curtis. And I think vice versa too, even though Jamie Lee Curtis is into the fun loving and into the deep and profound she also is not um, squeamish from mentoring and was not squeamish in mentoring young Kyle Richards as well, too. With the, um, what was kind of interesting with Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, very dedicated to her craft. I think she had Saturn. Actually, I know she has Saturn conjunct uh, Mercury, which means not only so many actors have like a prominent Mars position near their ascendant, which means they just like jolt from being nobody to being off the charts. And, uh, you know, with Jamie Lee Curtis, it's like she did find success, but it wasn't, you know, chart topping. Um, instead, you know, kind of, the, she had more of a methodical approach in her beginning days of acting. So instead of being, you know, instead of saying, oh, I'm going to be an actor and, you know, I'm going to get into films right away and become uber successful right now. Um, instead, she had that notion of, okay, I'd like to become an actor like my mom. But first off, I need to know what acting is. I need to establish the foundation. 
Secondly, I need to establish what is stage acting. Third, what is film acting? Fourth, what's the difference and how I can utilize the different energy between the two acting styles? And then fifth and then sixth, it's like kind of progressively moving up as opposed to shooting up to stardom only to fall right back down again. I feel it's like that momentum that has carried Jamie Lee Curtis into success rather often as well. Further with Jamie Lee Curtis, she also has her moon in Aries, which also indicates um, very dedicated to her craft and very dedicated to her causes as well, too. You know, philanthropic causes as well as her craft and really learning what she can and also doing everything that she can to either help those who are in need or also to really um, excel at her acting career as well. In turn, I feel like the Aries um, moon, even though it's in opposition to Kyle Richards's um, uh, moon in Libra, I feel like the oppositions kind of give them a nice, you know, sometimes oppositions can give a nice advantage in the regard that you guys feel very similar to each other, even though you're very opposite and very different. And I feel like there is a shared bond, like maybe taking charge or, you know, being very serious about a career that really united them. I also think that, you know, Kyle Richards's um, son placement being in Capricorn, you know, with Jamie Lee Curtis's methodical approach to acting that probably really appealed to Kyle Richards because it was very similar to her. You know, a success for her, even though she was a child actor, success for her as a child actor was also the same. It's like, okay, establish the foundation and work gradually, um, you know, and keep working gradually and not give up on the career. Um, you know, even if you are of, of utmost success, never give up on the career, never give up on the craft of acting. Um, I think really appeal to them. So that's on the surface. But uh, what we're investigating for this week is obviously with Siri's relationship and how um, that really impacted, how that impacts their relationship, you know, both Jamie Lee Curtis and Kyle Richards's relationship. With Jamie Lee Curtis, she has a series position outside of Libra, you know, within Libra and in her 10th house. And then with Kyle, she has Ceres and Capricorn in her fifth house. So um, with Jamie Lee Curtis, we'll start with her. So at, with Ceres being in Libra, I think what she really picked up on in childhood was a sense of fairness and a sense of listening to all sides, listening to everybody really kind of comforted her and coming into a place of being, you know, having diplomacy and tact was really very appealing to her. Also, you know, um, having a high aesthetic, you know, a high aesthetic when it comes down to um, surroundings, but also I would also say too, um, really craving just plain old fashioned love, you know, really having somebody who give her a hug really having somebody who would display vast amounts of affection to her um, was very important. And, you know, in turn, carrying that importance to giving vast amounts of affection, caring, and love to others. For Kyle, the thing that she picked up um, with her series placement in Capricorn was that um, really taking on the responsibility, you know, taking on responsibility was very important for her. And on top of taking um, responsibility, teaching the lessons of tact, responsibility, duty, and why that's important, not only just to her sisters, but also maybe just teaching that to her kids as well, and, you know, imparting that to her kids. That's also something that she picked up in childhood when she was being raised that was important to her. So she carries that into her life. Um, being in Capricorn, she's very, um, she wants to be in control of her life. She wants to bring home the bacon. Um, she wants to really have as stable of a life as she possibly can. That's what makes her feel very nice and secure and as though her needs 
are being taken care of in the relationship. I feel what was kind of interesting with Jamie Lee Curtis and Kyle Richards' series placements, you know, so while Capricorn and Libra are squared each other, I kind of find that um, Kyle's relationship being in the fifth house. So what's important is while imparting, you know, having control and imparting the importance of duty and obligation were very important to her. Also having fun with it or having a sense of fun with these things were really very important to her as well. You know, having a sense, you know, having fun was also a sense of stability and nurturing for her. And with Jamie Lee Curtis, with her, with her son's position being, so she's um, basically Scorpio, but on the cusp of Sagittarius. Sagittarius is all about fun. So with Jamie Lee Curtis, she definitely has that fun streak. So I think with Kyle Richards and Jamie Lee Curtis, that's where they kind of hit it off right off the bat right there. Uh, what also struck me, Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, serious position being in their 10th house. So again, uh, stability for somebody in the 10th house would be obviously excelling at their career, again, bringing home the bacon. That would very much appeal to not only Kyle Richards's um, son in Capricorn, but also her series position in Capricorn as well, where that need for security, um, you know, for duty, responsibility, relationship, and how to encompass that as well. Because Jamie Lee Curtis really took Kyle Richards under her wing with the Halloween series. So I kind of feel like, um, you know, really their bond deepened when it's like, oh, She's very serious about her career. I could learn some things about her, um, about the career from her. I could learn more about how to be more methodical. I could learn more about how to be a better actor or just even, not even just a better actor, just to be a, you know, a long standing actor in an industry that can be very short lived. Um, and how to be um, supportive in relationships and how to be that rock that everybody needs. I kind of felt like she was learning that from Jamie Lee Curtis, and that also um, solidified their bond. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, also, too, I feel like uh, the um, series position in Libra really gets along with Kyle Richards's position, you know, series position in the fifth house, again, of fun, um, in the regard that along with fun, there's also a lot of love that emanates from the fifth house. So again, a loving, a very loving relationship, I think, really comes between the two of them. And also, again, a dedication to their charitable causes, their philanthropic causes, as well as their craft um, in acting. So Kyle Richards, um, I hope that this makes up uh, for last week. And I hope that if you are listening, um, that, you know, this really does um, help to balance things out. Because like I said, I really do appreciate you. And I really do appreciate your perspective. You have a very grounded and wonderful perspective on the Beverly, the Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, and yes, I do really respect you as well. But anyway, Stargazers, that really does wrap up our episode on series, the Asteroid series. And if you're wondering, it's like, okay, series, is it S-E-R-I-E-S? Um, that's a good question. And I would say it is spelled C-E-R-E-S. Um, so if you're looking for it in your chart um, and you need to know like which asteroid to look for in the list, that's that's exactly the asteroid right there. But above all, Stargazers, I hope this episode was informative. Um, feel free, especially with Mars retrograde and the chaos that it is bringing right now. Um, you know, if you really need a break from that chaos, definitely feel free to look up at the stars. Um, I would also just say in looking up at the stars, we also look at our origins of astrology and where they began. But as far as, as much as I do know, we're coming up to a new moon um, on the day before Thanksgiving. So on this Wednesday. And I think, I think, I don't, don't completely cite me on this one, but I think that Jupiter is also out in the sky towards the eastern horizon. So definitely um, get a chance to check that out. A couple nights ago, I also saw a falling star, uh, you know, so a um, little, little meteor shower there. So that was pretty awesome. 
Uh, or that, that was really awesome as well. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure if it happened a couple nights ago, it's bound to happen again. So definitely get out there. And if you see that falling star, make a wish above and beyond. But above all, above and beyond stargazers, I do hope to find you well. And until next week, I will, I will, you will definitely hear me again. And until next week, I will definitely hear and see from you again. If you have any questions or comments for Sandra Misek, you can contact her at her Instagram page um, at, San, at sandra.misek. Again, that is M-I-S-E-K. You can also email her at misek, M-I-S-E-K dot Sandra at gmail.com. You can also check her out on her Patreon page for as little as $5 a month. You can become a member, support the show as well as get a free Sinistry chart reading. Again, visit patreon.com forward slash 7th House Astrology for more details.